0: The Lessons Led Podcast, sponsored by American Health Staffing Group, serves as a platform for highly successful leaders to impart their wisdom to current and emerging leaders, and in particular, healthcare leaders through stories, lived experiences, and lessons learned from a place of genuine authenticity and a desire to pay it forward. I'm your host, Keith Minnis, and I'll be leveraging my over 30 years of experience in healthcare, human resources, and operations to engage, entertain, and educate the audience alongside my dynamic guests as they discuss hyper relevant subject matter in the world of healthcare leadership. I'm excited today. Our first guest uh, is Di Smalley, and Di. I know quite well and had the privilege of working with and serving uh, with at Mercy uh, Health and reporting to actually for uh, my uh, time at Mercy. Uh, Dye currently is serving as a private uh, executive uh, healthcare consultant. Uh, Previously served as a senior vice president of Workforce Solutions for Mercy uh, based out of St. Louis and prior to that regional president for Mercy uh, West, Mercy Oklahoma. Uh, Welcome to the podcast Dye. Well, thank you. Excited to ha- have you here. Well, one of my first questions, um, and I, I think it's always interesting to hear how leaders um, ascend and kind of what their career paths um, are comprised of as, as they kind of move up up the ladder, so to speak, and, uh, you know, I would love to hear your career path and kind of your journey, uh, Di.
1: Sure, well, it actually started when I was three years old. My, my father had an accident and was in the hospital for three months, and no one in my family was in healthcare, but while he was in the hospital, my mother and I, at that time, children could go to the hospital, my mother and I uh, would go every day to see him, and there was this wonderful nurse that would come in every day to take care of my dad. Her name was Hannah Schmidt, and uh, I just idolized this woman. So I said from that point on that I wanted to be a nurse like Hannah, and I never varied from that, and so I went on to be a nurse, and ironically, what I loved about nursing was the leadership part of that. And I felt that I could best serve nursing by being a leader in healthcare. But I found out later that Hannah was actually the deaconess of that hospital. Oh. So at that time, that was you know many moons ago and it was before hospital administration was really a, a career and they had deaconesses for the hospital. She had an apartment in the hospital and she oversaw the hospital. So I, in fact, did end up being like Hannah. And so beyond that, I would say that my career was kind of a forward trajectory in that I can look back on my career and say that I never held the same job twice. Uh, I was very interested in learning new things. So I went from staff nurse to head nurse, to supervisor, to director of nursing, to director of professional relations in another hospital where I learned all about marketing and and uh, recruiting and that kind of thing. And then I went on to be uh, chief operating officer and CEO of a hospital and CEO of a system and, and so on. So, I, you know, I always kind of felt that if I were to take a head nurse position, as an example, at a larger hospital, I would really just be adding zeros behind the numbers. And I wouldn't be affording myself a new learning opportunity. And so my, my career went from there.
0: So uh, I, I think that, you know, Many of the folks within my audience would have to be very interested in just kind of understanding or, or hearing that that chasm that you crossed from being a nurse, nurse executive to a healthcare administrator, CEO. You you yeah. left the the bedside, moved into a leadership right. position. Talk to me a little bit. I mean, you you almost glossed over that. That was yeah. a pretty big pretty it big was, leap. It was,
1: it was big. Uh, my sister, who is also a nurse, always said I went over to the dark side,
0: <laughs> and my
1: response to that was always, no, I went where I could best serve nursing. I, I still have a love for nursing, and I'll, I'll always be a nurse, but uh, it, it wasn't an easy, there, there definitely is a glass ceiling in, mm-hmm. in healthcare, uh, but you know, I made sure that I had the educational tickets, and then one of the first things I did was join the American College of Healthcare Executives. Uh, and I've always said that that college levels the playing field. If you become a fellow in the college, then, you know, whether you're a nurse or anything else, uh, whatever your background is, you, you're holding that uh, credential of being certified as a healthcare administrator. And so that meant a lot, I think, in, in being able to get my career off the ground.
0: That's interesting. And I, at what point in your career was the college healthcare executive, I mean, the uh, board did that come into play for you? Was that Well,
1: it was kind of funny how that happened. I was the uh, director of nursing at a hospital, and the administrator of the hospital told me that he was going off to a seminar, and I asked who was putting it on, and he said the American College Healthcare Executives, and I asked him about the organization, and I said, well, gee, maybe that's something I should look into, and his response to me was, well, I don't think they really consider nurses as leaders. Ooh. Now, there's one thing you never want to tell Dice Scali, and that's that she can't do something. And so I made up my mind at that point that I would not only join the college, but I would be one of the best people the college ever had. And so uh, along that line, I went from obviously joining the college way back. I believe it was maybe 1973 I joined the college, uh, to serving on numerous committees, to becoming a regent, uh, to becoming a governor, and then eventually chairman of the college. And that certainly was uh, a pinnacle of my career. I was the fifth uh, female to ever be uh, chairman of the college and the second nurse and the the first female nurse to ever be uh, chairman of that college. And and the college was in existence for over 125 years. And then probably one of the greatest uh, honors of my career was receiving the gold medal award, which is the highest honor of the college uh, after I had uh, served as the chair.
0: And you just, you dove into the deep end of the pool, so to speak, with, with both feet. and uh, And then just uh, immediately started kind of moving, moving and, and navigating yourself through uh, the college. And... Well, you know,
1: I, in fact, when I was working on my master's, I actually did my master's thesis on what gave uh, nursing directors a feeling of uh, power and influence in their organization. I've always been interested in that topic. Uh, because I do believe that nursing, being the critical part of healthcare that they are, should have a voice at the executive table. Absolutely. And so I've always been very interested in making that happen.
0: And and have served as an example of that, and I have. and then also um, have have led by example as well in making sure that nursing within your, your boards that you've either participated on or led, which you've led many, many. <laughs> in, in your career. Well, one of the things I'm, I'm anxious to hear about, you have a DIE's top 10 uh, list for emerging leaders that you you've shared. And I would love for you to kind of take us through your DIE's top 10.
1: Sure. So, you know, I, I one day was asked to, to give about a 30 minute speech at a at a college uh, in in, uh, Omaha, Nebraska, and I knew I had to condense uh, what I was gonna tell them because I have a whole lot, you know, when you're an old woman, you have a lot to say. Uh, So I thought, well, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna develop my top 10 leadership lessons, and so that's what I'm gonna share with you. And the first one is everybody has a story, uh, and it isn't the leader's place to judge, it's the leader's place to understand. And I learned that lesson when I was 12 years old, actually. Uh, My father was a policeman when I was growing up, chief of police in my hometown, and uh, he was notorious for bringing people home for lunch without announcing this to my mother ahead of time. (laughs) And so one weekend, he brought the governor of the state home for lunch, and we were having leftovers. Um, And uh, the next day, he brought what, at that time, we called the town drunk. Today, we would call a homeless person home for lunch. And so being 12 years old and, of course, knowing everything at that age, that afternoon after Charlie left, I said to Dad, well, you know, I just don't know why he would do that. And, you know, gee, you have the governor one day, and the next day you bring this guy home. And he said, well, who do you think was the hero? And I said, well, of course, the governor. And he says, and of course you would be wrong. <laughs> he said, uh, Charlie, that was there with us on, on Sunday for, for dinner, uh, was a D-Day survivor and, and was suffering from what we would today call PTSD. And, and so he um, was really being, he was essentially kicked out by his family and he was looked after by the police. And what my dad said to me was, you know Di, everybody has a story. And until you know that story, it's not your place to judge. And that's a lesson I have never forgotten. Yeah and one that I have always put in practice as as a leader. I think you need to understand the people that you're working with and, and where they're coming from. So that's lesson number one. Lesson number two is that successful healthcare leaders look outside of their own organization and inspire and influence others who impact their organization. And that's not true in any industry more than it is true in healthcare. Because when you think about it, A lot of times it's not an employee of our organization who is making decisions, it's a physician, and many times they are not employees of that organization. Uh, It is not the customer who is paying the bills, it's a third party that's paying those bills. And so for that reason, you not only have to have direct uh, leadership, accountability over folks that actually work for your organization but you have to have a lot of inspiration and be able to work with and inspire Mm -hmm. those outside of your organization. And that's, as I said, true in healthcare, but I think it's true in most any organization. So that's lesson number two. Lesson number three, I'm gonna tell you, three, four, and five together. And it's as a result of being asked a few years ago to write a chapter for a book for a friend of mine. And the question I was to answer was, if I were to go back, what would I tell my 25-year-old self? Mm And so I could give you three lessons that when I look back on it, I would would have said. The first is know your own strengths and weaknesses. You know, when I was 22, 23, I thought I could do anything. I mean, there was just probably nothing that I uh, didn't think that I could accomplish if I wanted to. Uh, And what I found through the years is I could probably do it, but I may not be the best at doing it. And I think it's the role of the leader to know what your own strengths and weaknesses are and surround yourself with those that have greater strengths than you do in certain areas. And so that was lesson number number three. Number four is understand and accept your personal values and know your limits. If I could go back, I wish I had defined my own personal values a a lot earlier than I did. Because when I look at my career, the times that I was most uncomfortable was when I was working either for an organization or a leader that did not hold the same values that I did. And that, that is something that if I were to go back, I would have avoided those types of situations. In my personal uh, world, uh, respect and trust are my top two values that I, I just, it, I can't work with an organization or a person if I can't respect them and I can't trust them and I can't feel the same coming from them to me. So that's lesson number four. And lesson number five is volunteer for it. You know, people have asked me many times, how did you as a woman get to where you are in your career? And my answer is always, I volunteered for it. And that doesn't mean I raised my hand and said, hey, I'll be the CEO. What it means is that in every single organization, in every single position I've ever had, I have volunteered to give more to that organization than they ever paid me for. And an example would be my first job uh, I was 21 years old. I was working as a nurse in my hometown, and uh, I, I was going to college at the time, and every day I would walk by the library. Now, you know, for you young folks, we used to have paper libraries, and it was very <laughs> critical that that uh, those were in good uh, order so that physicians could research diagnoses and so forth. And this library was a, just a disaster. I would walk by the door, and there was books strewn all over and magazines and whatever. So here I was, 21 years old, but I marched to the administrator's office, and I said, can I straighten out your library for you? And he said, well, you know, we had a librarian, but we had to let the librarian go because you know, we had some cost issues. And I said, I'm not asking you to pay me. I'm asking you, would you like me to straighten out your library? And he said, well, sir, sure, if you want to, go ahead. So I would come in between classes every day, and I would be the librarian for that hospital. And there was some other things like that in that role that I did. And uh, I was about 24, I think, when uh, a supervisor position came open, and apparently some of the older nurses didn't want that position, and so who do you suppose they went to? They went to me. Now, I am not saying that you should volunteer because it'll get you, get you promotions, but I do think it does get you uh, interest and people begin to know you because of that. Uh, you really volunteer for your own personal, I, I believe, um, ownership of the organization you're working for the more you do for an organization the more invested you feel in that organization and i think that's very important you know. so that's uh, lesson number five lesson number six is it's a leader's responsibility to drive out fear and foster creativity and a feeling of investment and ownership in each co-worker and the story i would tell here is this when i was working as a staff nurse very young nurse probably 22 23 Uh, I was working in the intensive care unit of this hospital and we had this particular procedure we did that I thought was a very awkward way to do it and I had been taught a better way to do it in nursing school. So one day I came in early and I said to the head nurse, you know, I know a better way to do X, Y, Z. And she looked at me and she says, what's wrong with the way we do it now? I wrote that procedure. At which point I said, it's wonderful, I'll do it like that forever and, you know, walked out. What that. What that taught me, what, what that head nurse taught me, was to leave my brain at the door. And that is not what you want to teach uh, co-workers and employers. You want, you want them invested, you want their ideas, you want their brains. And so uh, that's what I mean by driving out fear. That's awesome. So uh, the, the seventh uh, lesson is a leader must always focus on and be the champion of quality and safety. And I, I think that's particularly important in a service in, industry such as healthcare. care. Uh, the definition of service that I love is service is a product that is instantly consumed. And stop and think about it. You know, we can't put somebody at the end of the assembly line and pick off every faulty widget and then only, you know, deliver a quality product to our coworkers because the minute we do something, Uh, The minute we make an incision, the minute we give a pill, the minute we do anything like that, it's consumed already. Mm -hmm. And so I think we have to be additionally uh, uh, focused on on quality in, in our organization. So I think that's certainly a role of a leader. My eighth lesson is a leader must create such a compelling vision as to where the team should go that they willingly and enthusiastically follow the leader. I believe that part of leadership is being a good salesman. Uh, you, you have to be able to sell your vision to the organization in order to get people to go for it. And, you know, I, I, uh, one of the greatest compliments ever paid to me, I was up for an award for something, and uh, one of the physicians that worked for me uh, wrote a, a, letter, a letter of recommendation, and he shared it with me. And there was a quote in that letter that I will never forget because I was so pleased with it, and the quote was, what Di did for us is to make us stop just being proud of who we are, but instead she helped us realize who we would become. Mm-hmm. And I think that is so very important. It's, it's easy to rest on your laurels, be very proud of who you are, but you know I have never seen any organization shrink to greatness. Mm-hmm. If you want to continue to be uh, in, in that kind of proud moment, then you have to expand and grow and never be satisfied with where you are today. Yeah, one of
0: my diasmally quotes is is that you can't shrink yourself into prosperity. They're just, you know, you've got to have a healthy amount of cost containment and you've got to, you know, certainly prune the, the tree yeah, at absolutely. times, but you, you cannot just continue to shrink yourself into right. you, being successful. You need successful. to keep
1: your, your eye, your focus on, on the vision for the future. We're, and it might, might take a, a bend you know, from where you wanted to go, but at least you have to go that, that way. My ninth one is a leader must be an effective change agent, which involves articulating the why of decisions. And I think that's one of the most difficult parts of leadership. You know what you want. You know why you're doing something, but being cognizant of how you communicate that to others, how they understand that, is, is not an easy choice. I love, uh, Kenneth Galbraith uh, is, a, is a writer that I've always enjoyed, and, and he said it this way, he said, Faced with the choice between changing one's mind and proving that there is no need to do so, almost everybody gets busy on the proof. Yeah. And isn't that so true? so true? Change is never easy for any of us and it is actually the leader's responsibility to make sure that you get the team uh, to where they need to go. And finally, my 10th one is, if as a leader you're not adding value to a process, then trust your team to handle it and focus on other priorities that do need your expertise. I always say there's a difference between value added and value addled. And sometimes leaders can, one term people use is micromanage, they can get in the middle of something, and they're not they're not adding value to the process they're addling the process right <laughs> by the, by their presence and so you know if you go back to what i said earlier and that's that you if you understand people if you understand your own strengths and weaknesses if you understand the strengths and weaknesses of your team then you ought to be comfortable in letting them move forward
0: when did that happen for you because i i it, you know i've always admired that about you and i it, said that, that, you know, you had to have been one of the least micromanaging leaders, (laughs) but that can't, I mean, that that didn't just happen. No, no,
1: in fact, it's kind of funny, Keith, and in fact, it it has to do with human resources. When I was the CEO of of a hospital, I had a leader uh, who I really liked the lady, but she just didn't seem to be able to get anything done. And so one day I wrote down, I sat down and I wrote an action plan. To help this lady get where she needed to be, you know. And it was multiple steps and there was checkpoints and I was going to do this, whatever. And I went down to my HR uh, director and I showed it to her. I was very proud of it. I mean, I spent two days writing it and I said, now, you know, this is your role. You're going to do this and this and this. And she very quietly, she listened to me go through the whole thing, and she says, so, Di, what you're saying is the two of us are gonna do her job. <laughs> and you know, it was an aha moment for me. Yeah. I thought, well, wait a minute, you know, she's right. I mean, wh- why am I putting myself in the middle of this? You know,
0: Working harder <laughs> it, at making her exactly. successful than, than she is. Yeah.
1: <laughs> we have our own jobs. You know, right. She needs to just, to do this or we're gonna have to get rid of her. Uh, unfortunately, we ended up having to get rid of her. And the, the funny thing is, I, I saw her later, this lady, uh, at the grocery store, uh, it was several months later, and she came running up and she threw her arms around me and she said, thank you. She said, you know, I was in the wrong role mm-hmm. and I didn't realize it. And I can tell you that that's happened in my career more than once.
0: Yeah, it does. And you've actually provided uh, an opportunity and probably relief, you know, to her and um, and help actually probably clear, clear the way for her to enjoy um, being in the right role. Because uh, right. all too often, so I, I'm, I'm curious, you know, Di, I know this has never happened for you, but working with a difficult boss or a, a mm-hmm. dysfunctional team, mm-hmm. talk to me a little bit about what, what do you do? How do you oh, approach? Oh, it's happened, Keith, <laughs> it happened. <laughs>
1: so first of all, I'll go back to what I said was leadership uh, lesson number one, and that is that everybody has a story, and so do leaders. Yeah. And so I try my best to understand where leaders are coming from. You know, I was in fact counting up last night. I have worked for 18 different senior executives in healthcare Mm -hmm. and some of them were really, really very good and some of them really weren't. Uh, I tried to give each one of them what they needed and by that I mean I didn't come to work every day and do exactly what I did the day before if I had a new leader. Uh, Maybe the next leader needed something different from Mm -hmm. me and so I tried to understand what they needed and I tried to give it to them. And and uh, that was, you know, I, the way I handled it. Now I will say that the worst leader I ever worked for probably gave me the most valuable lesson hmm. because he was the one who said, I don't think nurses are leaders. He was a terrible administrator. <laughs> but I loved the the hospital that I was working at and so I, worked with him, but if he had not made that statement, I probably wouldn't have joined the college and, wouldn't, and it would not have resulted in uh, what I said before, it was the greatest uh, pinnacle of my career. So you, my, my point is, you learn from everyone. Yeah. You have to handle things if you can't, and I'm gonna go back to the lesson that I was telling you about uh, values. You know, if I find myself in a position, and I have, where I'm working for someone who I just simply cannot buy into their values, then I'm the one that has to leave. Yeah. And I have done that. Uh, because, you know, you can do your best. You can try your best to understand. You can, you know, change how you do things in order to, to meet their needs. But if meeting their needs goes against your values, uh, then you don't want to be in that position.
0: Yeah, I, I love that. And I think that's, you know, and just thinking about, providing that you know advice and and lesson you know learned you know by you is probably one of the most valuable lessons is and i uh, I, i've heard that lesson being taught to me from from you that you Mm -hmm. know when you do you know you're finding yourself in a place that you just and it's that internal voice where you just it doesn't feel right it's not Um, you know but you're still you don't want to give up the role you don't you know you still want to kind of keep pushing pushing through it Uh, and and so I I think that you know at times you can kind of just withstand it too long and 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 I think the the challenge right is it starts to manifest itself in other ways right I mean whether physically I mean you know emotionally or affecting your relationships or and you you know probably need someone at times to say you're miserable you're not happy you're not enjoying but it probably is that crossroads that Um, I'd never really thought of it that way that something is out of alignment with your personal values and your own ethics or um, just how you're wired up. And so it may be that what has to change is, you know, that person is not going to change and you're not going to change or fix them, right? That's right. You've got to make that that change. Well, Diane, one one of the other questions I, I think it's, you know, having read your resume and knowing, I mean, just all of your accomplishments and, um, and life accomplishments as well. I mean, I, I love hearing the story. Your parents were married 73 years. You, know, you and Ted have been married 45 years. I mean, you've had success around it, but, but sometimes when you read a bio and you read you know, a resume, there's something on there that maybe you know, doesn't reflect that people need to know about or hear about. What, maybe what's something that I wouldn't see there that people maybe need to know about die small? Well, you know, it it's be...
1: hard in a, in a resume, to project the degree of passion and love you have for a particular career. And and I I would say that that would be it. Uh, When I was speaking around the country for the American College, I would start every speech by saying that there's not been a day in my career that I haven't awoken in the morning and said to myself, thank God I get to go to work today. And I am quite sincere about that. And it doesn't matter what my day was like, Thank God I was where I was and I was able to do uh, the job that I wanted to do. And and what I, the lesson, one of the lessons that I would always say is, you know, if you can't say that, if instead you're waking up and you're dreading going to work, you're probably not in the right spot. So I would say that's what's hard to project on a resume is the my love for healthcare leadership.
0: and healthcare, and I've kind of been coining this phrase lately that. You know, healthcare needs leaders now more than ever, and it certainly has. In my entire you know thirty plus years, has never been a career that's for the faint of heart. It's right. it is a it, um, it is a passion and purpose, and is comprised of uh, folks uh, like yourself that may have a, a clinical, or or they may not be in a clinical, but they love to serve and serve well and serve patients and families and communities and. Uh, And so it it is a, uh, you know, I think a career of of the heart um, and a healing uh, career for sure. Well, Di, I can't tell you how much I appreciate having had the opportunity to have you in and to be uh, a guest on our uh, Lessons Led podcast that uh, will be going out to um, leaders and healthcare leaders, healthcare emerging leaders who are um, coming into our uh, field and uh, are uh, like you, passionate about serving others and and serving well, uh, I would love for you to just in closing here, um, just you know share for those emerging you know healthcare leaders um, some words of wisdoms that uh, that you'd like to pass along to them.
1: Well, you know, obviously I'm I'm a woman and I've spent my life in essentially a male dominated uh, field, and so there's two things that I would share. One is when I got my first leadership job my father gave me a plaque and the plaque said women must do things twice as well as men to be thought half as good fortunately this is not difficult now I never of course hung that plaque anywhere and I don't mean to offend my male colleagues he gave it to me as as his vote of confidence of my ability to work in that particular field, even though it was dominated at that point by males, still is, uh, I never hung that plaque in my office, but I did hang it in my head, mm-hmm. and I would refer to it once in a while when, you know, I was asked to do things like, "Would you be the one to make the coffee because you're the woman in the room? Would you be the one to take notes because obviously you're a woman and your handwriting is good, et cetera, et cetera." I decided a long time ago that there's hills to die on and hills not to, and uh, I was never going to jeopardize uh, my ability to advance in my career by some of that stuff, that what, whatever, I can make coffee, I can take notes, whatever, doesn't matter to me. So that's one thing. The final thing I would say is that I am not only a woman, I am a, a wife and a mother. And just like other wives and mothers, uh, you have that mother guilt <laughs> and any of you that have children know what I mean. Uh, I'm at work instead of at the soccer game. I am you know, can't be the room mother because i got to go to a medical staff meeting, etc., etc. And so I suffered from this mother guilt for m- many years, and obviously I know that there is father guilt too, but I'm uh, <laughs> right. more familiar right. with mother guilt. And so when my youngest son was 12 years old for Mother's Day, he gave me a present, and I don't think at the time he knew what it meant to me, but... It was a journal. And it was one of those journals that you write in. And every page, I opened it and every page was blank except for the last page. And on the last page he wrote, I have written in this book every time you've ever disappointed me. And as you can see, you never have. He says, don't feel guilty, Mom. And what that told me was not only was I laying this on myself, More than what I was laying on him, but I had a very understanding family, and and you know I think that uh, we forget sometimes that our kids can uh, can handle more than what they think, and in fact can can become quite uh, independent as as a result of of us uh, being away from them, and and so I would leave with that. I would say that. I never l- relied on the fact that I was a woman, but I never hid the fact that I was a woman, yeah. and I think that that's what you have to do. You have to be the best you can be, regardless of uh, your sex or orientation. Absolutely. So I would leave it with that.
0: And those little little eyes and little ears and little hands are listening all the all the time, and um, and we we sometimes think what what is most important is is not that they're. Right. The, the work ethic, the values, all of those that you imparted to your uh, two great sons. And I've had the opportunity to meet them and, and couldn't be more impressed. So you you and Ted both passed along that that work ethic and those values. Well, die, it's been a pleasure. Um, it has gone fast. It always seems to go so much more quickly um, when we're just having the conversation. But thank you so much for imparting your wisdom and your lessons learned. and Uh, and I can't wait for the audience to have an opportunity to to hear this podcast.
1: Well, thank you. It's always a joy to be able to share lessons with, with upcoming leaders.
0: Thank you, Diane. Appreciate you.